The Ebony's and the Ivory podcast is a bi-weekly dialogue with Dr. Dejalon Jackson-Bell and Dr. Lakeitha Poole. Through the EITI podcast, we plan to promote our mission of dispelling myths, rewriting narratives, and championing women of color in higher education. All views expressed through this podcast are our own, do not represent any entity with which we are affiliated, and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. For more information or to set up a consultation, visit our website at www.ebonysintheivory.com. You are now tuned in to Ebony's in the Ivory. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Ebony's in the Ivory podcast. This is one of your hosts, Dr. Lakeitha Poole, and I have my co-host with me. Hi, everybody. It's Dr. Bell. We're so excited to be back um, for another episode. We're on episode three, um, so we're really excited to talk about some of the things that we have lined up for today. Yeah, we have some great things ahead. Um, Obviously, we just want to remind you before we get into it to make sure that you've subscribed either through iTunes or SoundCloud or both. Um, And make sure you also follow and like us on Instagram and Facebook at Ebony's in the Ivory and follow us on Twitter at Ebbs in the Ivory. And if you haven't already, which we know a lot of you guys do because we see your comments on the blogs and we get your submissions for Ebony's in the Spotlight, make sure that you've checked out our really, really, really cool website at www.ebonysintheivory.com. And also, guys, make sure that... Um, if you have a question or a comment, um, we like to interact with you all. So um, leave any comments, any questions, any concerns that you have. Um, we're pretty good about answering things and giving feedback. And um, we definitely want to encourage engagement um, in our community that we're building up. So um, feel free again to comment and, and you know just give us your opinions and your feedback. Yes, we definitely want to hear from you. Like we always say, this is as much of our community and initiative as it is yours, and we can't do it without you. So please um, holler at us. Let us know what you think. Mm-hmm. All right, Dr. Poole, let's get into the nitty gritty of it all. So this week, we're going to do our preview um, for our blog post from last week. Um, And the blog post was entitled Money Talks and Fear Walks, um, which is very dramatic, but I'm dramatic. I loved it. I know. I was like, (laughs) yes, for money talking and fear Uh, walking. (laughs) It's a double entendre. But um, we felt like this is important. And we talk about this all the time when we live through this. But we felt like it was very important to discuss this topic of funding the doctoral journey because I want to say probably the week that we rolled out Ebony's in the Ivory, I think I got like three different like emails, phone calls, just, you know, interactions from people asking like, you know, I want to know, you know, how do we fund this? Where where are some funding resources? Do you have anything? And I'm like, this is important. Like it literally happened like in a day, like three people asking the same question. I was like, okay, you know, I had my list of podcast topics and blog topics that I felt like you know I wanted to contribute and I know Dr. Poole had hers and we collaborate but um, this is something that came up and I felt like you know we felt like it couldn't be ignored Um, and I looked at it as let's just go ahead and rip the mandate off Um, (laughs) and let's talk about something that I think does I think it's anxiety inducing um just talking about money in general you know mm-hmm. like whether it be your own personal finances or your household finances or how you're gonna pay your debt off or you know thinking about speaking with the financial advisor or what what have you um money is always 
kind of one of those subjects that we don't want to talk about. Yeah. But we know we need to talk about. Um, so that's why we brought this topic up. And like I said, we just want to go ahead and rip the Band-Aid off and address the proverbial elephant in the room and talk about how to fund the doctoral journey. So we know that, again, the strategies and the suggestions and the options that we discussed in the blog um, are definitely not an exhaustive list because there's so much stuff out there um, just from like even in undergrad, like search for scholarships. I know everybody went through that, um, but it's the same with doctoral programs and it's so much information out there and it's, it's so difficult to find time to filter through. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to make sure we just had something that we could um, provide to you all and um just kind of help navigate some of the different options because of course in grad school there are different options um versus those that are available in undergrad so again money talks fear walks so i want to know from you dr Poole, based on the blog and based on like your own experiences um what were your initial thoughts about paying for your doctoral degree um, I think I felt like some of those people who reached out to you initially to sort of think like, okay, uh, great, I'm accepted. Uh, now what? You know, and so, um, but I but I will say, and this probably comes um, not as a surprise for anybody who is listening and thinking about that process, because more than likely you've had the same thought for undergrad for a master's degree, and now you're doing it one more time. So um, you know that it costs. And so it's being able to sort of figure out, well, how do I kind of uh, rally my resources or what I know worked to get that bachelor's degree or that master's degree? And so I think for me, um, you're always told that you shouldn't pay for graduate degrees or you shouldn't pay for school, right. you know? And so right. yeah. I was determined to make sure that that didn't happen. Now it didn't happen fully, but I definitely right. know that I left the doctoral process, not in even close to the amount of debt that had I not yes. done any sort of legwork to get resources, you know, that I would have. Um, and then I'm fortunate and we can talk about that even later of like, if you end up having to do a loan, how do you pay it back? I'm fortunate that I work in public higher education. So there are loan forgiveness options. There's all kind of things. So there's there's ways to not just jump right into fear um, and just right. sort of get into like planning mode and start to make sure that those things, particularly if you took a break between degrees, like you still yes. got to do your FAFSA. You still need to ask about scholarships. You need to find out about fellowships and grants. Like there's so many um, resources and so that's really what I I just I didn't let fear sort of overcome me I started to just kind of rally my resources and start to think like who could I ask for money as far as my my level of involvement already as a counselor as um, a state employee at that time too like so all kinds of things just started to kind of flood my brain and I just organized myself around that I think like I know we tell the story about how we were both like after we got out of you know our master's program we was like oh we're gonna get a PhD like we both said that to each other and then like it started getting time to um apply and we're like are we really gonna do this like mm-hmm. are we gonna do this and when we decided that we did I mean I knew you know and I know we both knew that we wanted to you know pursue a terminal degree but I think on first thought I didn't even about the money like yeah it was just I was just trying to attain that dream of even like applying like I knew just the applying the application process would be different like it was it was a dream that I had had for so long that I was just like I just need to apply like I just and and I mean it, it was a little naive for me a little ambitious a little optimistic um for me but you know once I got all my letters in my letters of wreck and you know, turned in everything. I was like, "Oh shoot, I gotta pay for this." <laughs> like this is something that, and you know, graduate school is is way more expensive than undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, you know, what's going on? And I actually did. I got a tuition waiver in um in my master's program, and and I like what you said about you know that that school of thought that you shouldn't have to pay for your 
your grad your graduate degree. I mm-hmm. heard that so many times. Like my mom would tell me that because my mom she got her degree from an HBCU and they paid her mm-hmm. because her um, discipline was in science um, and math education and that STEM and education combined. So you know there was a lot of um, I guess it was a greater allocation of, of funds and resources to those sorts of disciplines for people especially African Americans in STEM um, so she was squared up she was squared away yeah. um, and you know that was just the ideology that was beat into my head you should not mm-hmm. have to pay for it you should not pay for it and I, luckily I didn't have to pay for my master's um, degree I had a fee waiver um, and I was just responsible for paying academic fees um, which change you know by the academic year um you know through the university but i was like okay i got a fee waiver for my master's program what am i going to do about this phd i knew i didn't want to take out any more loans Mm -hmm. because i was very like frivolous with taking out loans in undergrad (laughs) i will admit it i was like oh refund check like i didn't have to do any of that oh you was was one of those Mm -hmm. oh it was so unnecessary and you know i'm i'm from where I went to school so you know I did I think it's important to do you know the living on campus situation I feel like I wouldn't be who I am if I didn't live on campus to be honest Mm -hmm. um but just like just not even educating myself on like the different types of loans the interest rates unsubsidized versus subsidized private versus federal versus department of education and like just you know I, I wasn't excessive, but I feel like I could have could have stuck to I'm only going to get what I need and I'm going to make the wisest decisions as possible. I didn't have um, I, I didn't have that financial literacy as it relates to taking out student loans, mm-hmm. um, you know, even like with a credit card, like, you know, they would sign have you sign one of to get a credit card mm-hmm. I never did that but my dad did give me a credit card he's like you need to get a credit card for college and I did max it out um paid <laughs> it all so I maxed it right. out um so just you know learning from those mistakes I knew I did not want to take out any more loans mm-hmm. um so I just started kind of you know kind of figuring out what resources or kind of what I was going to do once I had my um, application submitted to the graduate school. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really what it came down to for me too. Just trying to strategize and pull every resource that I could because of what I was told. Um, and you know, I didn't necessarily have. Well, I guess I had that mentality for undergrad. I was an out of state student for undergrad, and so. Um, I knew that was going to cost something because I left my state where my family was paying taxes to go somewhere else, Um, even though it was still a public institution, but it was somebody else's uh, state tax dollars. And so um, even with that, like my mom would always tell me, you know, like utilizing the fact that you scored a certain score on the ACT or what your GPA was like, those are reasons for a financial aid office to give funds for an undergrad and in some schools probably very um you know maybe more private schools that have resources in that way they might still utilize that methodology for graduate school but a lot of times it is because of um a program wanting to be more diverse or wanting to provide a special you know resource to women like like the example you gave about your mom like you know being able to be in a certain field of study um and so that literally is what i went on the search for once i got my um acceptance and uh, for my doctoral degree, I went to a private uh, religious affiliated institution and have very interesting experiences around asking for those resources um, because there was an expectation since it was a private school that I think I was a certain type of applicant, even though, um, you know, I was on the struggle bus like not for real but kind of like still just in my first job after getting my master's and while I had been on it for a few years 
at that point, um, still wasn't, you know, making enough to just full out pay for a doctoral degree at a private institution. And so right. my, my questions that I was asking um, this university's financial aid office, uh, which I don't know why I'm trying not to say, like, if y'all go on our website, you're going to see where I went to school anyway. Uh-huh. But <laughs> Yeah, it's being a researcher, maintaining my confidentiality, but I'm not. Um, You'll see it on the website, but whatever. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So, um, and definitely got some not so great experiences that actually almost kept me from going there. And we might even get into where I can share the story later, but it's the same sort of thing. Like you should sort of have a mentality of like not being afraid to ask. Um, there's no reason not to ask about what is available, what can be pulled, even if it's not your first year, your second year. So you don't even really stop even in that first year of initially trying to um, make sure it's paid for, like see what else you can get while you're in the program. I did that as well. And that benefited me um, through a fellowship that I got from being a counselor. So um, just so many things to kind of look out for so I guess just back to what I said initially like don't let fear drive how you start to function or think about or even make the decision to attend um a doctoral program absolutely do you feel like there were like what do you wish that you would have known if anything about um funding or what was available to you as a woman of color concerning like financial assistance um i think some of the you know if there were added resources like i don't even think i thought about and that could be because my like primary identity is is me being black first and then a woman um i didn't even think about some of the specifics around putting those two together and finding out what was available and trying to make a case for the fact that like you know I was entering a profession that is predominantly white female. Um, But when you start thinking about doctoral degrees, obviously most people think of men, even though we already talked about how untrue that is. Um, But just being able to, uh, you know, have somebody to let me know what's out there what should I be looking for so like from a master's level I didn't know about what fellowships and things were because you didn't need a fellowship for a master's degree you you got fellowships for doctoral degrees or um or huge research projects um you know as like a researcher or a postdoc something so it still had to do with the doctoral process so I think just being able to um know more, know what's available, know how to search for things outside of my university or like my department for things. And then uh, later I did find out about very specific resources from organizations that were focused on women in general pursuing advanced degrees. And then obviously like um, women of color or people of color pursuing advanced degrees that I just... I wouldn't have known because I had never done a doctoral process before. So I just wish that those type of things were available ahead of time. And like, I wasn't a kid that did uh, McNair or like, so those are places where people find out some of those things. Um, My university didn't have like a connection with another university for like a, um, we called it PDSI at LSU. Like, um, pre-doctoral scholars institute so these were undergrad students i got to be a mentor for one and that's how i even knew it existed um these are undergraduate students who have already kind of thought long term about their field of study and they they get to visit from another university for a summer have a mentor complete a research project and then usually it comes with some sort of stipend at the end that either helps cover a portion of you know application fees or anything um would have been useful and so again it makes you wonder did that information not come your way or my way because of being a woman of color and not having like advisors at the undergraduate and then master's level to say like hey this is what's there because 
that's not the perspective of maybe the people who typically are advisors. Um, I don't know. You know, I don't know if we'll ever find the answer, but those are things that I wish people at least thought about ahead of time to let me know or, or jog kind of my like thoughts about initially so that I could be a little bit more prepared. Ah, well, that's interesting to me because you're talking about my undergraduate institution and I had never heard of that and I've been knowing I wanted to get a PhD <laughs> since I was like 18. So <laughs> that makes me feel some type of way. Um, I don't know if that was that program was available, but I agree with what you said. Um, just the opportunity to know about like different fellowships and scholarships and you know, like, um, like you said, McNair scholars and even Gates Millennial scholars. We mm-hmm. think, you know, Gates Millennium scholars. We think of, you know, oh well, you have to, you get that opportunity um, coming from high school, but they actually do provide scholarships and fellowships mm-hmm. to graduate students as well in different fields of education, um, in different disciplines, including the field of education as well as STEM and all of that so I think it just wasn't a conversation that was had even in I think our master's program I don't think we really talked about you know how does it look um, transitioning from a master's program to a doctoral program and I know our professors clearly did it successfully but Mm -hmm. I guess those sort of conversations weren't really had um, right which is It just always, everything to me always goes back to, like, the importance of representation, Mm -hmm. the importance of mentoring and um, being a village to someone else and all of that, which is why, you know, these, I feel like this work is important. Yeah. Um, Because then we can share what we've learned. There's no need to reinvent the wheel and do all of that. So I know, you know, when we become faculty, you're already adjunct right now, but you'll be able to say, hey, I did this fellowship um, when I was in my doctoral program. They have a fellowship for masters, you know, master mm-hmm. students as well. Have you thought about it? Or, you know, as I speak about in um, the blog, you know, once I found out that they had a set number of um, fee waivers allocated for um, students of color. I told everybody, mm-hmm. like, I was not about to keep my mouth closed because <laughs> we need to know. And I just wish that we had more open and safe spaces to navigate some of those conversations, um, especially for women of color. Yeah, I agree. Who are, um, another question that came up um, was... You already kind of touched on it, but how were you actually able to um, fund your degree? You talked about the fellowship you had gotten later on and mm-hmm. some things that you did before. So could you elaborate on how you were actually able to fund your doctoral degree? Yeah, I think kind of similar to what you just said about the fee waiver. You found out about, like, I did not keep my mouth closed about, like, the need that I had. And I think a lot of people will let pride get in their way of asking um, or just seeking out resources or asking other people who are in the process, which goes back to, like you said, about why representation is important. But um, specifically, when I got accepted into my doctoral program, so like I mentioned, I asked some questions um, that went over differently for <laughs> well I guess I should just tell the story I'm trying to be like whatever let me just go ahead and put it out there y- y'all already know where I went to school anyway so um, so uh, basically when I got this was even before the full acceptance I believe um, I think this was during maybe like the interview process Um that came up or I don't I don't know what stage this was I wasn't accepted yet though and I sent an email just asking like are there um you know in undergrad some universities offer fee waivers for your applications or 
um, some form of support for, you know, in the, in the graduate level, you may have to go to that university to do your interview in person, which I had to do for my doctoral program. And so I just asked, I wasn't asking because I needed just desperately to have this money to get there or to, you know, fund me because I knew, I knew what I was taking on when I decided I wanted to apply. I knew I would have to go there to do my interview process. Um, and the response that I got just was not, uh, very Christ-like for this school <laughs> that I was applying to. Um, and so they're going to sue me later. This is hilarious. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, what it is what it is, but being able to, you know, ask was really important to me because my mom and my grandmother always told me like the only dumb question is the one that you don't ask. And so for me, it was really important to just exhaust my resources because I wanted to, I didn't want to miss out on something that was out there. It wasn't about like specifically my need. It was about getting everything that I'm supposed to get. And so, um, that started it out, obviously. That was a word. You know, it happens. Like being able to realize that that was that was the critical piece for me. That that you know the person who I spoke to. So again, I'm not blaming the whole university, but this person was just not understanding that, and and their response back was kind of like, well, if you can't afford you know this wow. um, interview process or this application process. You know, then how are you going to be able to come for residencies and all that? Because wow. I had to do that every year of the program that I was in. And so um, I was, yeah, I was totally insulted. I took a moment because um, that's what I have to do to not pop off uh, is to and, and developed a response through email, like the response that I got and, you know, express my disappointment Um with her response to me about my question that was simply a question um and also just kind of in that email said like you know you've totally changed my perspective about this university and I'm, I'm not even sure that I want to go on with the process and then I also politely and kindly copied her supervisor so you know whatever like that's just what I felt like I needed to do because that wasn't right and and Again, will I ever be able to prove that it was because I was a woman? She was a woman too. Or will I ever be able to prove it was because I was a person of color? But something about my question instantly made her make assumptions. And um, that too told me, okay, well, this is not going to be an easy path to getting this degree paid for. Because obviously they're very like tight-lipped about what's available, if anything. Um, And if nothing was like... For me, simply that should have just been her response. Like, there's not, and we move on. Um, so I still ended up applying. I interviewed. I clearly got in, and then accepted the offer to attend. Um, and so once you do accept that, then they start to provide. And at this point, I think I had already looked up what sort of things came directly from the university based on um, your acceptance. And so the the students who had like top master's GPAs as well as strong um, personal statements were offered a semesterly scholarship. So I forgot how much it was, but something each semester that was added um, or taken off from your tuition total, which was nice. So that started to like chop the number down. So you end up kind of just like, all right, that's $1,000 off. That's $5,000 off. That's, yeah. you know, whatever. And you kind of just start piling it up. And so for my first year, and this is where um, you cannot let self-doubt come in, the fellowship that I ended up getting my, really would have been my third, third year. year. Um, or I got it. I think I got the award at the end. I was awarded it at the end of my second year to apply for my third year like to to be um applied to my third year so um i should have just went out on a limb and applied even though i was a new incoming student um i could have for this fellowship that was through the national board of certified counselors their minority fellowship program so any of my counselor ed or potential counselor ed phd students make sure you're listening um because it was a great great opportunity um 
they were the year that we started our doctoral programs was the first year of the fellowship program um but because i was you know an incoming student i assumed i already had to have like a gpa and have taken some classes and all these things so i didn't apply um and ironically uh, one of my good friends and cohort members, Dr. Vasquez, we entered the program together. She did go out on the limb and was brave and just did it because she and she like sent them her acceptance letter and was like, this is all I have right now because I haven't started and actually was awarded the fellowship for her first year. Um, and so, you know, that's a testament to like just putting yourself out there when you do find out about something and not feeling like. You have to wait because, again, the only thing they can tell you is like, OK, well, no, you no, need you need an, a year of coursework under your belt beforehand or whatever. Um, but that's a whole nother story. Yeah, that's, that's a whole, a whole other conversation. Uh, <laughs> so I then was like, oh, I can't believe that, you know, I could have just did it. So then my second year, I went ahead and applied for it. And it's super competitive, as you could imagine. It's $20,000. I don't think I said that. Um, And so my second year, I didn't get it. I was among the top folks, but I wasn't one of the top. I think they only give it to like 20 people at a time from around the country. Um, And so I was not in the top 20. And so at that point, I was like, oh, should I even apply again? Like, Dejelon and I have this plan to graduate in three years. Next year is my last year. Like, does that even matter? And then, of course, you know, I'm like, don't be an idiot. Like, you need money anytime. It's free and available. So I went ahead and just did it. And I said, you know, well, if nothing else, I've made it this far with, you know, minimal loans, utilizing the, the small scholarship that I did get from the university. You know, it won't be so bad. Um, but let me just go ahead and do it. Did it. Got it. Um, changed my life. Helped me pay for school. Start my practice. Um, do networking for professional development. So, I mean, resources are important. Um, and so it wasn't even just about funding my degree. It turned into, like, funding experiences for me. I used some of that money to, like, have uh, giveaways for people who took my survey for my dissertation, <laughs> gift cards. So I bought, I used that for that. I didn't have to come out of pocket for that. So, um it just was, you know, it was a definitely a blessing. But again, it's you have to exhaust all your resources. Think about the community organizations that you might be involved in and see what resources they have. Um, exhaust all of the identities that you have. Being a woman, being a woman of color, being a person of color. Um, do you have a physical disability of some kind, like being able to really utilize all the things that make you you to tap into what's out there so that you just don't leave any stone um, unturned. Yeah. Yeah. And I just know from experience, just by us being friends, that that stone is still paying off for you to this day. Yeah, for (laughs) real. we We graduated two years ago. So... Um, that's mm. just a testament to how important it is to be able to advocate for ourselves mm-hmm. and to make it happen Maybe. and to ask. I agree. Um, I would say, like, for me, I, I kind of shared about, you know, my situation with the tuition waiver. And um, with that situation, or as my institution calls it, a fee waiver, with that situation um it was interesting because when I did decide for my master's degree that I wanted to um not take out student loans I started searching um scholarships and fellowships and all those things and I happened across you know this fee waiver this mention of a fee waiver and it was like so obscure it wasn't even on like the financial aid website it wasn't on the graduate school website. It is now, but it wasn't at the time. And it was like, just kind of like a little sentence in a corner. And I was like, but wait, like you're saying that you've allocated fee waivers for up to 200 minority graduate students. Mm-hmm. Like, why is this like in the corner at the bottom of the webpage? So I'm like, what is this? So as I said in a blog, you know, I called the graduate school and they were like, oh, like you, I got a little runaround. And then somebody finally was like, okay, well, yeah, this is what you need to do. So I contacted 
um, I wasn't even enrolled in school yet, um, or I had just got accepted. Um, so I contacted my program director and I was like, hey, you know, I heard about this. You know, they said that they needed you to um, fill out this application. It's a separate one-pager application. He was like, I don't know what that is. I have never <laughs> seen that before in my life. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, they told me to tell you, so I don't know. I mean, he was like, well, okay, you know, and I love him to death. He is a um, white male. Mm-hmm. Um, he is one of my favorites. He was our program director, <laughs> mm-hmm. but he did not know what the heck I was talking about. So he was like, well, okay, well, I mean, I've never heard or seen this before, but I would do my research. And I was like, appreciate it. So um, he ended up locating the, the application mm-hmm. and I got the waiver. I got the fee waiver um, and it covered my two years. Like I said, and it covered, um, it didn't cover my fees, but it did cover my tuition. Um, so that was awesome. And my fees were like around like maybe a thousand dollars, um, every semester, which is nothing compared to the tuition. So I graduate and then I'm like, okay, well, how am I going to fund this PhD? Right. And the same fee waiver is around. And I'm thinking to myself, Hey, you can't, you can't apply for this twice. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, you can't do that. These people are not going to let you do that. And it reminds me of what you said about you don't know until you ask, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, these people could tell me no, um, but they just going to have to tell me no because <laughs> I'm going to ask again. So had to go through this. I knew what to do this time. I, I think they had put it on the website by then, but I didn't even need them to do all that because I already knew why well, I need to go to my program director. Mm-hmm. Um. So my program director at that time was an African-American male. And I love him to death, but he didn't know what I was talking about either. Mm-hmm. But he was like, I got you, though. Like, he was, like, <laughs> more enthusiastic about it. He was like, I got you. I don't know what you're talking about. Never heard of this. Um, which goes to show me that when he does so much for the black community, which goes to show me nobody was using it mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. me. Because yep. he did not know what I was talking about. Yep. And he was like, I'll figure it out. And sure enough, he figured out, like, I'm thinking to myself, okay, my God is good, but, like, I just don't see how they're going to let me use this thing twice. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, and they know me, because I went there for undergrad, too, so, I mean, they have all my records. <laughs> um, so, sure enough, I got it again. And I was like, oh, my gosh, these people are about to let me get this Ph.D., for like free almost mm-hmm. and all I have to do is pay you know my academic fees so that was a blessing in itself yeah. um, and I think the lesson was just as you said to like persevere and to like ask and not be ashamed to ask I could have been ashamed to be like you know um, I don't want people to look at me like I'm using the university or this or that and I, like I said in the blog I had already prepared too, because I went to a public for institution and I was a resident of the state in which the institution was located, I knew I wasn't going to have to pay out of state. It's a public institution. Mm-hmm. Like, I knew I had sufficient income to be able to cover. It was going to be a stretch, but I was going to do it because I was determined not to, you know, take out any more student loans, but, you know, thank God I didn't have to do that. And now that I think about it, because I, I almost was, like, a little embarrassed to, like, try to get the, the fee waiver again. Mm-hmm. But then I thought about it, and this is really this might be off color to some people, um, but I I want my reparations. Like it's like I like I feel like that that I deserve to get that. Um, I feel like I deserve to benefit from um, what was carved out for me right. as a person of color, um, and I have given that university so much money um that it's, i feel like i, I sh- there's no reason to be ashamed right. to seek out financial assistance um at all so um i mean we do we have to do and we advocate for ourselves because people do it all the time mm-hmm. other people do it all the time 
Um, and I think that we have to learn how to stand up for ourselves and to ask um, and feel as though we're deserving. Um, right. Because, you know, other people do it and they don't give two thoughts about it. Mm-hmm. So um, that's how I was able to fund my doctoral degree after um, the waiver was for two years. And then my last year, I had to pay out of pocket, um, but it all worked out. It was cool. Um, At that point, I I was seriously considering doing a dissertation award, a dissertation fellowship, Um, but I knew that I was getting ready to move out of the state and get married and all of that. And I know, like we said in the blog, there are some commitments, some service commitments. that um, align with most dissertation fellowships. Um, so I didn't want to take that on, but that definitely was a viable option for me. Yeah. Um, so that's how I was able to fund it. So I, I, you know, for our listeners, you guys can see that it definitely is possible um, to fund, you know, your doctoral journey. Um, very much so possible because if we did anybody could do it right um and (laughs) all my friends who came after me most of them have you know um utilized and taken advantage of that tuition waiver because it's there and i feel like also and this is something i learned um while working in higher ed and you know we're talking about agendas and budgets and policies and diversity and you know all those buzzwords um when you get serious, I was told, when you get serious about diversity, you put it in your budget and you make it happen. Mm-hmm. And I feel like my institution did that. Um, so, you know, to to be able to utilize that, not just for me, but for people who came after me and people who found the information, like the information is out there. Um, I looked it up the other day just to see. It's like big and bold now. Um, but that shows that there's a need. Mm-hmm. Um, for for the, the for that funding, and it shows that um, you know it's kind of like a testament to diversity in graduate school, and um, it's pushing you know or helping more people to obtain graduate degrees, and that always looks good um, when you're in an institution of higher education, anyway. So um, I think it's a win win, and you definitely want to make sure that not only are you utilizing those um outside fellowships and outside outside scholarships and grants but institutional based and mm-hmm. institutional specific funding is also very important so you, you want to make sure you definitely do your research um to get that institutional specific funding absolutely i agree um one more question for you how do you feel that you gained um or how have you gained a return on your investment um, from pursuing a doctoral degree? Um, like in addition to people putting respect on my name? Like that? <laughs> <laughs> like that's what you mean? <laughs> whatever, whatever return on investment. Because I guess the point is to say, you know, some people, I hate this rhetoric and this, this discourse around, oh, well, you know, getting a degree is not worth it and you're spending more money than you and yeah. yada 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 like I hate that yeah. I feel like that's just um, a way for people to be mm-hmm. I don't know to be settled in laziness and non-motivation yeah like, no I get you um, that, that makes sense I think I definitely absolutely feel like I have um, obviously in a number of, of ways if nothing else just being able to sort of have a multitude of opportunities that allow me to have, you know, my current full-time role as a director of a clinical area, um, to have my private practice and it be successful because there's a difference when people maybe see um, Lakeitha Pool MA LPC and Lakeitha Pool PhD LPC. And so being able to benefit from that And then also like, you know, getting to adjunct, that's extra coins, like Mm -hmm. to be able to do that as a master's 
level clinician at a school like LSU, which is a, you know, research one institution, mm-hmm. they're not, they don't have a ton of master's level instructors. And so right. um, it that opened the door for sure. So yes, the, the three years, the money definitely, I feel like have gained a return and will continue to, um, because of it because once you have it nobody can take it from you so right yeah i agree i feel like um i love what you said about putting respect on my name because like that was my hashtag um <laughs> when i defended i was like no you guys are gonna put respect on my name now mm-hmm. um no but i this is petty but like the return on investment for me just comes from seeing like people's faces like when they hear dr bell and then they see dr bell mm-hmm. it's really funny to me um it's really really funny to me especially being um a woman of color yeah well man because um, like our last names will fool people like on a on paper <laughs> our last names right. are very like basic uh and so people you know like you said, yeah, they, then, then they see, oh, that's right. Dr. Bell. Oh, okay. I come in the room with my box braids on my fro. Mm-hmm. And then there's nothing really that you can do about it because I earn my seat here. Uh, <laughs> you can't take away my credentials. I, I think it's a return on investment in the fact that I know um, I could go, you know, to any institution or any state and know that I would qualify um, to teach or to work in a college or university or whatever and my experience and my education and my research background I feel would be undeniable and that's not to say you know not to be cocky or um, anything like that but I feel like when you put the work in um you know, people can use other things to try to discredit you, but they can't discredit what you've accomplished. Right. Um, so that just in itself is a return on investment for me. Um, being able to expect a certain salary. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's also a return on investment. I know, you know, just doing interviews uh, in like our research classes um and doing interviews about because i've been doing interviews about doctoral success since i think i got in my doctoral program i don't it just interests me so much um but you know some of the participants of the interviews i asked this question to them you know why was it why did you choose to pursue a phd or and most people say for career development and advancement and and just share their experience on how much their life has changed um, how much more they're able to, um, you know, uh, negotiate for in salaries um, and all of those things. So I definitely, and something we refer to in the blog is that, you know, it's definitely a return on investment. And saying that to say also that funding and like being, you know, anxious or whatever about how, how to pay for the degree. I feel like it all works out. Yes, you, can, you might have to do some legwork um, and some work on the forefront, but I feel like it's it's worth it. So I, I almost never want people not to feel like they can't get the degree yeah. because of funding or how much it costs because it's so worth it. And there, there are different ways to accomplish whatever funding goals you have. Yeah, I agree. I think that's why it was really important for us to have this conversation and to talk about this topic because clearly so many people there's so many myths out there and there's just so much uncertainty and so just being able to hear our experiences and obviously see we made it to the other side um is important so hopefully this helps somebody listening okay guys so we're gonna take a quick little break um and we will be back shortly to go through our segments Um, Next up, we have Culture Corner, and we have Ebony's in the Spotlight. Um, So please stay tuned in.
everybody we're back from our brief intermission um and we're gonna be going through our signature segments uh first up we have our culture corner segment um and this kind of ties into the fact that it's minority mental health awareness month so i know like last month was mental health awareness month yeah (laughs) Uh, and this week is my i mean this month is minority mental health awareness month and i you know um it's important to look at how um minorities are affected by mental health and um kind of the differences in how we approach awareness in minority cultures versus in mainstream culture um so this week we're going to talk about it from the lens of the movie acrimony with taraji p henson um yeah (laughs) if this is going to be some spoilers so if you haven't seen the movie um you know we're going to be talking about spoilers but this movie was crazy y'all um basically in the movie i'll just give a quick concise um cliff notes of the movie (laughs) basically it starts off um taraji is young she's at she's in college and she meets a guy um it's interesting because she like immediately like beats up on him the like he he made her drop her papers in the rain and she like starts wailing on him or whatever and then they develop this friendship and relationship um and her mom passes away and leaves her a house and i think about three hundred and seventy five thousand dollars um and she has two older sisters she's the baby um and they're like you know make sure that you budget your money make sure you keep your money up and um she starts dating a guy she met at college he's going to school for mechanical engineering um and you know he has a bright future he's working on this patent for this battery um that's supposed to be able to recharge itself or something like that um so she starts dating him and he's being um a normal um 19 year old whose frontal lobe has not developed yet so he's not making the best choices and kind of being manipulative and she ends up you know because she's so in love with him she ends up buying him a car um he lost his funding for school uh, for his last semester last two semesters um she ends up paying like seventy three thousand dollars for his last two semesters and then um he starts i don't know behaving weirdly and she has this women's intuition and she rolls up on his house um once one one night and to give the backstory he's like i think his dad's in jail or his mom's in jail and somebody passed away he lived with his grandmother and she passed away as well so he lives in like this little rinky dink trailer mobile home um she rolls up on it and she sees that um he's messing around with his other girl so she takes her jeep and she rams it into the trailer two times and makes it fall over and then she ends up hurting herself and she has to go to surgery and get a hysterectomy so she can't have kids anymore um and then it just kind of the demise of their relationship starts building up and throughout the movie she talks about how much she sacrificed for him it shows like how much the money um from the 375 of the deductions um shows how much she's lost over time and he's so um consumed with working on this battery he doesn't really work that much sometimes he picks up odd jobs she ends up picking up two jobs um they're um she has to remortgage the house even though it was already paid for um to fund and to live um so she's working hard and she's resenting him because he's working on his battery his lifelong dream and he's not paying any bills and he's not going to work um and 20 years ago 20 years goes by and um he's been trying to get this battery this patent off the ground and um it hasn't been working so um what am i missing dr Hull? Mm, i think i mean i think that brings us to the the big moment where the climax yeah like where things yeah. start to fall apart <laughs> yeah so basically um i heard they they give little like subtle hints that she has like a uh anger problem throughout mm-hmm. the movie like she like she gets enraged and she like just like when she took the car and 
you know, ram the trailer and end up, you know, having internal bleeding and having to get a hysterectomy and all of that because she gets upset. She has certain trigger points and then she just kind of goes off the deep end. Once in the movie, she said, you know, she was like, you know, she, she told him, she was like, you know me, you know I'm the devil. And like, she has her two sisters that they're very involved in. They're too involved, actually. Um, but even they comment, yeah, you know how she is. Um, that's how she's always been. Like, you should know that. So it's, you know, they, they play into the fact that it's kind of like something that's known in their family that she has this anger problem. Um, and she gets in these fits of rage and it's just something that happens. Um, and then she accuses him of infidelity and, um, she divorces him and, you know, right after she divorces him, he strikes big. Um, with the help of actually the lady that uh, he cheated on Taraji with when they were like teenagers um, but it was totally coincidental like it wasn't planned or anything like that um, and um, then he strikes it big and then she goes crazy because you know he he does give her money once he strikes it big I think he got like a 75 million dollar check but she's concerned like now you know he's engaged and with somebody else and she's like you know you took my life so basically this i said all that to say uh what things did you know did you notice in the movie dr pool that mm-hmm. may be considered um common among people of color as it relates to mental health um i think the big thing was the way that her family like her sisters talked about the connection between some of her behaviors and like her temper and the way that she uh, processed and handled stressful situations. Um, and I think there was even the time in the movie where she talks about when she's talking to her therapist about how she has a similar temperament to her father, who was also, um, you know, also struggled with anger, also had like kind of a short fuse and, and, you know, just really went to the extreme when it came to like exhibiting emotions. And so, um, I think that that happens a lot, particularly in communities of color where, you know, we just brush it off a little bit like, oh, she always been crazy or, oh, the her mama was crazy or grandma was crazy. So, right. you know, like it just right. kind of um, we we use these like phrases to sort of like not necessarily dumb down, but like um, soften the blow about something right. that might really be an issue um, so I, obviously I think that was a big piece. The money thing, like with their marriage, which, you know, finances plays a huge role in, um, in a relationship in general and recognizing that, you know, ignoring it or not being vocal. So I know when you and I talked about our thoughts about this movie in general, is like, you know, a lot of things that she endured, not necessarily that she could change the outcome, but she could have at least had a place to talk about it with him. Right. She just kind of kept silent about, which made her resentful um, and angry to the point where when he did truly, you know, make a mistake that was perceived as him um, cheating and just not making the best choice, she had already reached her limit um, right. because she remained silent. So I think, you know, that's another piece because it was around... Money was a big part of it, but it was also her silencing herself and her voice um, to not say kind of how she felt. So I feel like, you know, those were the big, big things, like just kind of brushing stuff off and like the stigma around admitting that you might actually have something going on, like emotionally or mentally, and then ignoring financial issues while also um, not being vocal about the way you might feel about a situation um, and your ability to change it or maybe your inability to change it. I like what you said about, um, you know, brushing things off and ignoring things as, oh, well, so-and-so is crazy and so is your honor. Not really realizing and not being educated to know that some disorders manifest generationally. Um, And, you know, being able to address that in therapy so in the movie she had to go to court or therapy because she was stalking her ex-husband's new fiance um and the therapist brought up 
she asked her, have you ever heard of borderline personality disorder? And she immediately like went off and she was like, I'm not crazy. And she didn't even kind of even want to hear out what the therapist was saying or um, even if she could, if the therapist could shed light in some of the thing, into some of the things that she had been going through or had experienced um, since her youth. Um, so I agree in the sense that, you know, ignoring behaviors is sometimes something that is common mm-hmm. or could be considered common among people of color. Um, what you said about financial wellness, I think financial health, and I know on um, your Emerald Couch podcast, you talk about that and how important you have your financial advisor, Adam, come on and talk about mm-hmm. financial health and as people of color, how can we make sure that we're financially well and and being able to draw you know, the comparison between financial wellness and financial health to mental health. Yeah. Um, people always talk about, you know, whenever, you know, if someone dies by suicide is, oh, it's not always depression. Sometimes it's financial. Mm-hmm. Um, but they tie, they, they, they're very close ties to financial health and mental health as well. Yeah. Um, so I think also addressing financial health and wellness um, because people of color um, may not have been afforded the same opportunities to be financial, financial as financial literate as maybe other communities. Um, so being able to shed a light on being educated um, financially and, and achieving financial wellness, I think is also something that was a common theme in the movie, as well as kind of what we observe in communities of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just the stigma, of course, about going to therapy. Like she was such, um, she was just doing a lot in court ordered therapy. <laughs> and, I mean, court ordered therapy. You know, you, you know, we talk about that when we're going through our master's program and how difficult it is and how resistant, you know, the client is. Um, but she was extra, extra, and mm-hmm. she was not pliable. She was not willing. It was hard to go alongside, as we talk about, um, in therapy with her. It's hard to roll um, as a therapist um, because she was not really giving um, in that environment. So I think that movie definitely, and I don't know if, you know, looking at firsthand, if you would think some of those things, but I think as, as therapists, we definitely can see and draw conclusions um, from that movie. Mm-hmm. Um to communities of color yeah. as it relates to mental health um, awareness for minorities. So um, if you haven't seen it, that movie is awesome. Um, <laughs> go see it. Taraji acted her behind off. Uh, she acted a plum fool. <laughs> a plum fool. But she did that. Yeah. Um, so next up, we have our Ebony's in the Spotlight segment. Um, we want to send a huge congratulations to Dr. Rebecca Vasquez. Um, and we actually, if y'all have been listening, of course, Lakeith, the Dr. Pools shouted her out in um, earlier in, in the podcast. Mm-hmm. She was your cohort member. Yes. Um, and she was the one who um, took advantage of the NBCC uh, Minority Fellowship um for doctoral students. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Vasquez graduated in May 2017 with a PhD in counselor ed and supervision from Regent, correct? Mm-hmm. From Regent. And she was awarded the Outstanding Graduate Award. So um, since then, clearly she's been making strides in her career because on June 28th, she started her new job as the Assistant Director of the Office of Violence and Prevention and victim assistance at Rutgers University. So shout out to Dr. Vasquez. Keep making moves. Keep being outstanding. We applaud you. Yes. Um, You have anything you want to say? Because that's like your real life friend. I know. (laughs) This is my real life friend. Um, I'm just super, super happy for her. Um, Rebecca's worked in that field as far as like domestic violence and prevention um, for a large part of her career and just 
her as an advocate for clients um, who fall into that category and identify that way, like, they are very lucky to have her. She is just like a genius um, when it comes to that sort of thing. And so I just am so excited that um, we talked about kind of earlier, like seeing the return on her investment in herself and um, the people that she's helped thus far. I know that this is only the beginning. So I'm super excited um, for my my girl, my Puerto Rican friend. I'm so excited for you um, that you are getting to kind of live your dream through this role it was totally made for her so super excited and definitely thanks and shout out to dr christine baker for submitting um this great accomplishment um on her behalf and she'll be totally surprised when she listens to this (laughs) (laughs) again huge congrats to you dr vasquez keep breaking down barriers and being outstanding um so we have come to the end of our podcast we definitely want to thank you guys for sticking with us and listening hopefully we provided some information that you can use and hopefully we reduce some of that anxiety um surrounding how to fund your doctoral um your doctoral degree and hopefully we've kind of um shed some light on minority mental health awareness month Mm -hmm. um Make sure that you are on the lookout for our next episode um, of the podcast and our next blog. As you all know, we kind of debut our new content on Tuesdays, or as we call it, EITI Tuesdays. We're always excited to share what we've um, learned and what we've gained um, with you all. So please make sure that you like, follow, and subscribe on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Apple, <laughs> and all of the all of the other platforms that we utilize to make sure that we can get content out to you guys. And please make sure that you submit um, your fellow yours or your fellow um, Ebony's in the spotlight accomplishments, because um, we want to highlight people and yeah. we want to say congratulations and we want to give people flowers. Yes. So make sure that you submit um, your information or um, someone you know's information. And please make sure when you submit your information um, that you're detailed enough that we can let everybody know how great you are. Um, so we hope that you tune in for our next podcast. We'll be on episode four. Thank you guys for taking this journey with us. Yes. Thank you guys so much. And we'll see you next time on Ebony's and the Ivory. Whoop, whoop. Bye, guys. Bye.